welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. We have been working through this series called Truth, or Veritas. And truth is something that we all have to wrestle with and uh, figure out what we believe. And this morning, I have the privilege to share with you about the New Covenant. And this is one of my favorite topics. Last week, Pastor Mark shared on the Old Covenant. And uh, I'm going to try to bridge the gap between the two and help us see how uh, God has completely changed our relationship with Him through the New Covenant. And uh, part of my message is going to be a testimony. Part of my message is going to be a little bit of a lesson. And uh, hopefully the rest of it is just preaching and will connect it uh, and make it relevant to your lives. Um, So let me just pray for us first before I get get into this. Jesus, we seek you right now. I pray that you would speak to us. God, that you might speak through me. God, that you might uh, wake us up. God, that, that you might do a work in the hearts of those who need transformation. God, that you might do a work in the hearts of those that need softening. God, that, that your word might be planted deep within our hearts, God, and that it might bear fruit. And we might leave here passionate and, and driven to represent you in this world, to do the work of, of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. We sang a song where the bridge said, I've decided to follow Jesus. And each one of us, um, most of us here, I would imagine, at some point in our life can think back to a time where you decided that, where you had a moment where you just committed your life to following Jesus. And I'd like to share a little bit of my story, because most of you haven't heard my testimony yet. And... uh, I'm not going to share all of it, because I, I went really long in the last one, so I'm going to just share some of it. So, originally, I'm from Rhode Island, and you might not know that or recognize that, because I, I try really hard to put R's on the end of my words, but when I get really tired, if you ask my wife, I, I forget, and, and then I start saying wada and ka, and uh, you know, I, yeah, it, it all just kind of comes out, and it slips. Even the way I say her name it used to be different. I, I don't even know if I can say it. I, Carrie, Carrie. That's how I used to say it, Carrie. Um, and so I'm, I'm from this wonderful little state, the smallest state in the country. Um, I have an older brother named Paul um, who currently is not walking with the Lord. And uh, I, I pray that even God, I just pray right now that you speak to him. Um, but I, I just pray at some point in life, God's going to transform him and, and soften his heart. And I have two loving parents who are both still living, um, and they, uh, they do have a relationship with God, and uh, they, uh, they listen to my sermons every week that I preach, and uh, they go to an Episcopal church, and they share my sermons with the priest at the church, which I think is awesome, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet him, and um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so, I... Uh, when I was a child, I, I, I believed in God, and uh, that's right, <laughs> amen. And uh, my parents, since we were born, would take us to church, and they would take us to an Episcopal church. 
How many of you are from either the Catholic or Episcopal background? Like, you, you have a history. So, I, yeah, so most of you can connect with this, that their service is very different than our service, right? I mean, you have bells, you have smells, you have sit, stand, kneel, you have those really cool communion wafers that, that look like Necco wafers. Actually, I think they taste good, too. Um, and, and they use real wine, in the Episcopal Church, right? So, uh, my parents got me involved at a really young age, and they had me sing in the boys' choir even. So I, I was five years old when I started getting voice lessons and singing in a boys' choir. And we sang classical music, and um, secretly, and I, I, I don't think I've ever even, I, secretly I kind of liked it. But like to my brother and everyone else, I pretend like I hated it. Um, I, and, but kind of secretly I liked it because there were these, mo- there really truly were these moments when we were singing, when I tell you what, I was a little boy and I experienced God's presence. And it was just, you know, goosebumps upon goosebumps in the words of Chris Mogi, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they had me doing other things. I was, I was an acolyte, acolyte. You know what that is? So when they come into the service, right, at the beginning of the service, the, the priest or the pastor walks in, and, and they do like a little procession, and you have the candles, and yeah. So like I had the candle, and I would walk in, and, and then I graduated to carrying the cross, and we had these outfits with these coffee filters around our necks, and it, was, it wasn't awesome. <laughs> it was so far from being awesome. I can't even, I can't even lie. It really, it was hard. And... Um, I mean, there were mornings where I would fake sick, so I wouldn't have to go to church. Yeah, and I wasn't too good at it. Yeah, but sometimes it would work, but most of the time it didn't. And, um, but I would go. I would go because I love my parents, and uh, my parents are awesome. My parents have provided for my brother and, and I um, beyond, well beyond anything that any parent uh, you know, my dad worked about 80 hours a week. He didn't, wasn't able to go to college because his mom was sick. So he took care of his mom. And then when he got married, my mom took care of my grandmother. And uh, she stayed home with us. And, and, you know, they really invested in us. And I loved them. And, and you know what? I didn't want to disappoint them. So I would go to this thing that I didn't really like. And I was convinced that the people who went didn't want to be there. And they didn't like each other either. So it was really hard every week because I just felt like, wow, why do we go? Because everyone just gets kind of bored, you know? And then there would be these prayer times where they'd, they'd say, okay, you can offer a prayer and you could hear crickets because, you know, it w- and, um, it, and it was hard. It really was hard. Um, but it was kind of mandated in my life. And I would do it because my parents, I loved my parents. Um, but it was religion and it, it wasn't, Beyond those little experiences of worshiping, right, you know, it was cold and it was hard. And um, in middle, in, in, towards the end of elementary school, some things happened that really started to change me on the inside in a negative way. Um, one of my best friends discovered the pornography collection in his parents' bedroom. And this guy had, like, you know, boxes and boxes. So um, by fifth grade... My friend, all of our friends were addicted to pornography in fifth grade. So as a pause right there, if you have that stuff in your house, your kids will find it. 
and it will damage them because it damaged me. It stirred up things in me that shouldn't have been stirred up. And it brought out what everyone has. It brought out my sin nature. Because you're born with this. And as you get older, it starts to come out. And there's this yearning within you to have the things of the world, to have the things that are contrary to God. And to a certain extent, your desire to please your parents can sometimes squish it down. But eventually, you know, that mandate of going for religion and the desire to please your parents gets overwhelmed by your desire for things of the world. And so when I got to high school, uh, we kind of stopped. We would only go to church every once in a while because I, I made my confirmation. You know what that is? Okay. And that's like the, you know, you check the box. Once you made your confirmation, then you can kind of let your foot off the accelerator and you don't have to go anymore. So we, we kind of stopped going. And because of sports and because of other things, um, it wasn't the mandated religion wasn't part of my life anymore. Right? Tracking with me? I bet a lot of you have the same story. Okay. So um, in high school, I remember my science teacher, who was a great teacher, um, had me convinced that evolution could explain the existence of life. Now, this was a big thing for me to, because, one, you know, religion was meaningless in, in many ways, and it just seemed cold and sterile. And now I was seeing that, hey, you know what, if science can explain away God, then what do I need that for? So I actually became an atheist um, in high school. And uh, midway through high school, though, this is interesting. <laughs> God has a good sense of humor. Uh, I became friends with this girl named Crystal. And uh, she was the first person I'd ever met that called herself a Christian. I'd never heard somebody call themselves a Christian ever in my entire life. And I, you know, I'd gone to church as a kid and, you know, we were... Uh, you know, Episcopalians, and, uh, or you are the Catholic or Episcopal in Rhode Island. There's nothing else, um, at least for in the town I was from. Uh, well, you know, and um, so I met this girl named Crystal at a cross-country meet, and we became friends, and uh, she started, uh, you know, we started talking, and uh, she invited me and my friends to go to a dance in, at her, at her uh, high school. So we went and we met her family and her family. They're all Christians as well. And I remember meeting her dad for the first time and he had his Bible. He had his Bible. I'm like, whoa, right? And, and he's, like, he's like, boy, are you a Christian? I'm like, hmm? <laughs> well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, I liked his daughter, so I didn't know what to do with that. And so I, I kind of I lied and said, yeah, sure, I went to church as a kid. And, uh, but he kind of saw through that because he understood what, it actually, what he was asking me, and I didn't. So, um, but I became friends with this girl who was a Christian, and, and uh, it didn't really lead to a dating relationship. It just became a really good friendship. And uh, I remember watching the way that she would interact with people and, and being envious of the joy that she had. It was contagious. She, she just was so just filled with something that I had no idea what it was. And, but, you know, secretly I wanted it because uh, I felt empty inside. Um, but I was graduating soon, and I was going to go live at college. 
which I was so, and remember, I have an older brother, right? And my brother went to college. And when I was a senior, I would go party with him. And um, I kept most of that at bay because I respected my parents and I really didn't want to let them down. But out of sight, out of mind. And so I went to the University of Rhode Island. And if you know anything about colleges, right? Now, at that time, I went to University of Rhode Island it wasn't a dry campus. It was actually one of the number one party schools in America. And I partied my brains out for the first two months of school. I got drunk every night, every single night. And so I would go to class in the morning, take a nap, do a little homework, go out and drink. You know, get up in the morning, go to class, come back, take a nap, do a little homework, go out and drink for two months straight, which is a feat but I felt so bad after, all right? So um, somehow I managed to have two years of partying, like partying to the nth degree. And I reached such a low point of, of just really not liking who I was anymore, bottoming out. And there was this one moment in my sophomore year, and this, this, is, this is God's sense of humor, and I was so far from God at this point, I was an atheist. I, I had no inclination or any desire to want to interact with God, if there, even if there was. So I remember I was kneeling down. I was packing my book bag, and I was putting the books in my bag, and uh, I heard God speak to me. And it was the first time I've ever heard God's voice. And I, it was borderline audible. It was so clear, and it was so freaky because I'd never had that happen before, and I wasn't like looking for it. It wasn't like I was going to church service. I heard God say to me, don't you want a Bible? <laughs> what? I'm putting my biology books in my bag. You know, I've got my philosophy book put in my bag, and he said, don't you want a Bible? <laughs> okay, that was weird. What did I do last night? You know, <laughs> some kind of residue from something else. And so, you know, I put my book back on, and, I, and I'm walking up the hill, because my dorms were here, and there's this massive hill, which was really hard to walk up every day. Um, and I got to the top, and there were these two little old men in trench coats, handing out Gideon's Bibles. Yeah, and what makes it even greater was that when I was a little kid, um, I... I remember this very clearly that my dad had a little green Gideon's Bible and he would sit and he'd read it and he wouldn't talk to us about it. We never had a conversation about it. I didn't understand why he was doing it, but he did it and I saw it and I remembered that. And so there was something special to me because I can remember as far back that he used to read his little Gideon's Bible. And so the little old man, would you like a Bible? And uh, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I didn't know. I took this thing, and uh, I grabbed it. And it was like, I'm, you know, I put it in my pocket. And, and as I was walking, I noticed that there were all these Bibles all over the ground. And uh, the students were getting them, and they were just throwing them. So I, I remember grabbing them and, and putting them in the neat little piles on the wall that was by the Union, because I felt bad, and I felt like, you know, these little guys, and it was a rainy day, too, so I felt like, you know, these guys are doing this, and they're sincere. And so I had this Bible, and this, 
I ended up keeping this Bible and having it for, it, it was about 10 years, and then I ended up giving it to somebody who needed a Bible, but it, it was profound. And so now, I went back to my lifestyle after that, of course, because, you know, we're dumb sheep. And so <laughs> I went back, and I, I went back to partying and did my thing, and um, by the end of that summer, I had ended a really serious relationship, started my junior year in college, made a couple really bad decisions, and then reached the ultimate low point of when you get up and you look in the mirror and you don't like yourself anymore. You ever experienced that? It's a horrible, horrible feeling. It's a ho- it's, and, and I thought about my life and where I was and what I was doing, and I, and I said, that, you know, how did I get here and why am I doing this? And I thought about my friend Crystal, who was the complete opposite, who had something so different than what I had, had the thing that I was looking to fill, um, but I, I didn't know how to get it. And so I went to uh, the student union at school, and I asked if there were any Christian groups on campus, and they told me about InterVarsity. So I went to InterVarsity, and after uh, a couple two months, really, of going to InterVarsity, they invited me to a retreat, which I thought was kind of weird. And it was up to New Hampshire. So I just, I wrote it off as going camping. So I, I went to this Christian conference center, and I'm like, I like New Hampshire, right? And I like camping. So I went, and, and they just, you know, hammered me with the gospel. And I was like, whoa. And I ended up committing my life, and I ended up saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And I committed my life to Jesus. And uh, I, was, I was 20 years old. So within the course of really a moment, I went from an atheist to a Christian. What changed? And I'm telling you, it wasn't an intellectual thing. Because I still struggled with the thing, with my, my way of thinking. I was a scientist. I was convincing people there was no God. But God did something in, in me so profound that I cannot explain so that I would commit my life to following him. And here I am now a pastor. I was going to be a doctor. I'm a pastor. So in a sense, I'm a doctor. Kind of. Yeah. This morning, we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah. We're going to look at a passage in Jeremiah 31, which is going to answer that question, what happened? And from this passage, we're going to see that anybody, regardless of what they've done, what they've previously thought, how they have felt in the past, can have a relationship with God. He can take you from exile to intimacy. And he does it by these ways. So let's go to Jeremiah 31. So let me, while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little background, a little context, because context is important. The prophet Jeremiah was a prophet to actually the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And he lived both before the Babylonian exile, during, and while they were in exile. And God gave Jeremiah some pretty hard things to share with the Israelites. And he was faithful to share them. He 
prophesied to them that they would be exiled by the Babylonians because of their continual disobedience to God. God had set up this covenantal relationship with them. The type of covenant relationship that he set up with them is one between a king and servants. In the ancient Near East, they call these covenants suzerain vassal covenants. A suzerain is a king, a vassal is a servant. And in a suzerain vassal covenant, the king agrees to bless the people with certain things, but on the flip side, he basically has stipulations. If they don't live up to their side of the bargain, then he takes away the blessings. Okay, so you have blessings and curses. There are covenant stipulations. In the Old Testament, we call this the law. So when Moses went for a hike up to the mountain where God was thundering and lightning and, and it was scary, and he gave him the law, those were the covenant stipulations. Those were the terms of this suzerain vassal covenant. Here's what's important, why these terms were important. God chose this nation to have this relationship with so that through them, he could bring about the Messiah and change the world. He took this people group and wanted them to be his representatives. They would be engaging with the world. They would be representing him to the world. They would have to do challenging things like bring about judgment on the Canaanites because they were doing horrible things like sacrificing their children to gods, which has been proven archaeologically. They found jars of bones from babies because the Canaanites were sacrificing their kids to gods. So part of their mission was to actually go in and stop this, to bring on judgment for the Canaanites. These stipulations were very important because if the Israelites became like the Canaanites, then it would have been hypocritical for them to bring judgment on the Canaanites. So these boundaries helped to keep them set apart and not like the surrounding nations. But you know what? There's a little something called sin. And you can mandate things. You can give prescriptions for behavior. But if it's not motivated from the inside... It's not going to happen. It's like when I was a kid and my parents wanted me to go to church, but it wasn't in my heart to go to church. It was, I wouldn't say it was meaningless because it had a huge impact on me. So as a pause for a second, don't give your kids a vote on whether or not they go to church. Amen. You hear that? Make them go. Do they vote whether they go to school every day? No, they don't. They have to go to school. And why do you make them go to school? Because you think it's important. Church is more important. That's right. Okay, push play again. So, because it wasn't in my heart, and because religion was this mandated thing, it didn't ultimately affect my behavior. Ultimately, I wanted to be more like the world. And so I became and, and sold out. And, and, and I got addicted to things and and became just like everyone else in the world, even though I had this background where I grew up going to church. And if you look at the Israelites, 
they had many of them had religious encounters with God, and he set up these prescriptions for how they should live, and he wanted them to go out and represent him, but because it wasn't in their heart, they be, ended up becoming like the world. So God is just. God is holy. And when God sets up a covenant, he's faithful to the covenant in both ways, in terms of giving the blessings, but also, the, the, you know, laying it down. As we've been journaling through Exodus, in Exodus 24, many of you, if, if you're journaling, you've read this, there's this ceremony that happens after Moses comes down with the law and he brings it to the people and he does something called a covenant cutting ceremony. This is part of any ancient Near Eastern covenant where they would take an animal or animals, plural, and they would cut them in half. And it was a symbolic, symbolically saying that may I be torn in two like these animals if I am not able to live up to my side of the covenant. Okay? Now watch this now. So Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and half of the blood and threw it against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant, which is the law, uh, and read it in the hearing of the people. And then they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. They were agreeing to the terms of the covenant. They cut the animal in half, and they said, Okay, may I be cut in half if I can't live this out? So, for their obedience, then for their disobedience, sorry, then what were they actually agreeing to? As you read through the law, one of the ultimate punishments that the Israelites would face if they became like the surrounding nations, if they ignored God's prescriptions for living, would be exile. Okay? They would break their covenantal relationship with God, and he would remove his presence, and they would be exiled to the nations. So, in Jeremiah, this is the setting. Did you track through that? It was a lot. They are in exile because they were disobedient to the covenant that was established between them and God. They were called to represent God to the nations, but they became like the nations and misrepresented him. So he gave them over to the nations because that's the thing they chose. So, Jeremiah 31. Behold, this is a good word. This is a good one. Whenever you see behold, something good, well, actually, maybe sometimes bad, but in this case, it's good. When a prophet says behold, he's like, okay, listen, something awesome is going to happen. God's going to do something new. Behold. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And the word make in Hebrew is cut. So he's saying, I'm going to cut a new covenant. There's going to be a sacrifice that happens. And I'm going to reestablish this new relationship with you guys. In the Old Testament, there were, off, there were often these covenant renewal times where after the Israelites fell away, you know, then they would rededicate. It's kind of like the Christian rededication, right? Where, where you know, we kind of screw up, and then we live away from God for a while, and then we you know, pray to get right again, and then we go for God, and then we stop reading our Bibles, and we stop praying, and then we screw up, and then we go back, right? And it's kind of cyclical. God's saying, no, no, no. We're not going to pump the brakes. 
I'm going to do something different. Because that's not working. Because mandated religion isn't working. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to cut a covenant that's completely different. And who is he going to cut this covenant with? He says that this new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, raise your hand if you're Jewish. I, have one, I know one person. Wait, he's not even in here right now. Where are you? Tim. So, if we go right with just that one section, this only applies to Tim. But praise Jesus, it doesn't. And here's how. What's the nationality of Jesus? He's Jewish. And our faith unites us to him. We're in Christ. So this applies to us as well. Thank you, Jesus. Just say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus because this thing that I'm going to share with you is awesome. Okay? And if we missed out on that and it was only for Tim, man, I'd be mad. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Tim. And he said, it's not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the days when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. That's that suzerain vassal covenant that I was talking about before, where you have the king and his people, where there's stipulations, and if you break it, then, you know, yeah. How can you live up to that? He's saying that I'm going to set up a different type of covenant. The other major covenant in the Bible is called a grant covenant. These are the good ones. Because in a grant covenant, you have a really strong individual, typically a king, who would form a relationship with somebody who was pretty weak, like us, who couldn't ever live up to any obligations for what they're about to receive. So it was a grace gift. It's a grant covenant. There's no reciprocal requirement. You just receive it. That's profound. It's not based upon law. It's based upon grace. It's a grant. G-R-A-N-T. Grant covenant. The covenant with Noah, that's a grant covenant. The covenant with David, I'll put a king on the throne forever, grant covenant. Covenant with Abraham, you will be a blessing to the nations, grant covenant. Covenant with Moses, suzerain vassal covenant, has stipulations, blessings, and curses. This is going to be, this is going to be one of those good ones that we like <laughs> because we're sinful and we can't, we can't ever live up to that. So, <clears throat> but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Here are the benefits. Here's the meat. Here's the good stuff. This is what God's going to do, okay? Here's the covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Ezekiel will put it this way. It's basically saying the same thing. I will give them a new heart, a heart that is obedient. The covenant stipulations of the old covenant were written on stone tablets. It was outside. It was external. It was externally motivated, religious obligation. God is saying here, I'm going to change your heart so that you can live for me. I'm going to change the desires of your heart so that you want to love me back and that you want to love my people. That's gorgeous, especially for a guy like me who is 10 million miles away from ever wanting to seek after God. 
And you think about the people in your life that you know that might even be in that place right now. God can change them like that. He can completely change their heart so that they desire to be obedient. Now, why is obedience important in a relationship? Well, Jesus summed up the law as this. He said, the law is, is loving God and loving your neighbor. Is love important in a relationship? You bet it is. You don't have a relationship without love, at least anything that's worth anything. And he changes us. And he gives us a new heart so that now we can be in love with Jesus and, 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 and have a relationship with him. And in Jeremiah 24, he gives the second reason or the, the, one of the other benefits of this new heart. He says this. Jeremiah 24. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. To know who he is. To know that you know that you know that he is God. We call that faith. He's saying that he is going to give us a heart of faith. Mind blown. Faith isn't something we just muster up. Faith is a gift of God. And we have to exercise that faith and put it into practice. But he puts it there. So that some a nasty sinner can, can embrace the Savior because of the faith that God puts in that new heart. That's beautiful. That's hope. Because no matter how far away your loved ones are, or you feel even right now, God can change your heart so that you would want to live for him, so that you can believe in him, Listen, I was an atheist convincing other people that God was not real. My heart and head, my brain and heart did not match up. But yet I committed my life to Jesus? That's crazy. I could have given a million reasons why I thought that this wasn't true. But God did something in me so profound that it completely changed the way I thought about him. And over time, my mind was transformed through this, through mentoring, through being discipled by others, and through the Holy Spirit. But you can come to faith even when those things don't even match up yet. Right? Wow. And the, the, the third thing that comes along with the new heart, it's in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, he, said, I, he says this. He says, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart. You see, we all struggle with idols. Idols are, thing, are God supplements, things we put in place of God. Things we use to, to meet needs that we feel as though God's not meeting. And especially for somebody who doesn't know God yet, then, I mean, the whole world's an idol. Like, everything in this world, because you, you don't have God to, to fill the gap. So, you know, whether it's sex, or drugs, or money, or 
dating relationships or even a spouse that you worship as a god. All these things can, can be idols. And God can free you from those things. He breaks addictions. He takes those things and washes them away. Because he, they have to be gone. Because with those there, you, don't, you have trouble seeing God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there's something about these idols that are a block that prevent us from seeing God. The second major benefit of this new covenant is introduced here by Ezekiel. He says, and I will put my spirit within you. So God's presence isn't in an external building that you have to go to. God's presence is inside of you. Woo! If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com. Right, but when you're trying to have a relationship with God and it's a pen pal, that's a little tough. But he has the solution for that. In this exile period, there was no more temple. It got destroyed by by the Babylonians. And before it got destroyed, God took his presence away. So the Israelites were living in Babylon with no temple, lacking access completely to God's presence, not even in the Holy of Holies. They didn't have that anymore. God's presence gone. And so they didn't know where to go to learn about God anymore. They didn't know. They had no relationship. They couldn't just go and sit with their Bible and you know, have a quiet time and get their coffee, right? And take out their and soap with the journal and this and that. They couldn't do that. They didn't have that. So God gave them his presence, not in a building, in this building, inside, on the inside. What's neat in the Old Testament, you have the ark, which has the law. God's presence came down upon the ark, and there was this thing called the mercy seat. And whenever the ark went, God's presence went with the ark. Because God's presence and God's ways are inseparable. So when God writes the law in your heart, he puts his presence there as well, just like in the tabernacle and in the temple. So back to Jeremiah 31. As a consequence now of having God's presence, he says this, beautiful. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one of them teach his neighbor. And each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me. You can know Jesus in a personal way because he puts the presence inside of you. His presence, the Holy Spirit. And that presence takes away shame. It takes away guilt. It renews your mind. You have God 24-7 on call. You can just, God, I need you. God, help me with this. God, guide me through this. Why is this happening? Thank you, Lord, for doing this. You can have this relationship where he is on call all the time, teaching you, encouraging you, comforting you. That's amazing. Come on. They will be my people. How do you say it? 
<laughs> I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, one of the things I struggled with growing up was shame about Christianity. In, in my family, you didn't talk about politics and you didn't talk about religion. And at school, you don't mention God. You don't talk about Jesus because there was shame centered around it. And something happens when you encounter God and he changes your heart. That shame goes away. So much that you can sit in a cafe and have a conversation about God and other people can hear it and it doesn't matter. Because he is your God. Right? And many of us need that still. Hmm. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. From the least. It's not, a, it's not just for the intellectually elite. All of you can journal. All of you can journal. Hear that. You can understand this. Now, if you struggle, find somebody to help you. What he's saying, this teaching thing, he's not saying don't have someone come alongside you and help you. I had plenty of people help me to understand this. But he, what he's saying is that he's given you the Holy Spirit to teach you things. So even if you have just the basic, basic knowledge, you can still get stuff out of reading your Bible. It's essential. Do it. Really. It, it will change you. For they will know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now here's the, the third piece, and this is the best one. This is it. This is the big one. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. Through Jesus, we have complete forgiveness of sins. There's no more sacrificial system. We don't have to take our lambs and our goats and our chickens and our donkeys and our dogs and our, you know, beanie babies and sacrifice them on the altar because Jesus died once for sin, past, present, and future. Sin is not a block. It's not in the way of your relationship with God. That, that curtain, the big fat curtain that was separating the holy place from the most holy place, ripped in half. You can have a relationship with God and not hide in shame. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter if you even screwed up this morning and yelled at your spouse. God loves you and his son died for your sin and it's not in the way anymore. So we can go for it. It's awesome. Woo! What an amazing salvation we have. It's a grant covenant because Jesus died for our sin. Remember, that's right, Jacob. Remember the covenant cutting ceremony I, I was telling you about with the suzerain and vassal covenant, where basically we're saying, you know, may I be torn in two if I can't uphold my side of the covenant, okay? Now, those same ceremonies would happen in the grant covenant, but the stronger individual the one who was giving the blessing, he would do the sacrifice. He would make the sacrifice. And he would say, may I be torn in two. Whoa. 
That's Jesus. So why did Jesus die on the cross? Jesus was the fulfillment of this grant covenant. He was the sacrifice. You know what's also interesting? Whenever a covenant was, was made, a meal was also had. It was called a sacrificial meal. And in Exodus 24, when Moses came down, made the sacrifice because he mediated that covenant, then he and the elders went on top of the mountain and had a meal with God. They had a meal with God. What is that? That's communion. Mind blown. Why did Jesus sit down with his disciples the before he, night before he was sacrificed? He was having a sacrificial meal as part of this covenant ceremony. He was preparing them for the initiation of this grant covenant, of the new covenant. And when he said, take and eat, this is my body, given for you, he was saying, I am the animal that is torn in two. I'm going to uphold this covenant by my life. And your weakness is not going to take away the blessings of this covenant. The faith that I give you is going to unite you to me. And the blood, man, whenever you tear an animal in half, what comes out? Blood. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was pierced in the side, that was the tearing of the animal. And that blood came out. And he established this covenant. What an awesome salvation. What an awesome salvation. One, this gives us hope for those who are so far away from God that he can change your heart in an instant. He can restore his presence. And you can, that person can go from being an atheist to a believer in an instant. And two, okay, if you've been walking away from God and, and sin has become a wedge, it hasn't broken the covenant because it's a grant covenant. It's not based upon your behavior. Jesus' righteousness, this is a technical term, is imputed. It is counted as your own. We're in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He's like the ark. God put us in. He surrounds us. He protects us from the storm. The tar on the outside of the ark is the same word as atonement, pitch. Same Hebrew word. He, his blood covers us. It's like this, right? You ever go to the beach and you walk on the beach and there's all these holes in the sand? Okay. And you're walking in all those holes and, and it's dark out. You step, you twist your ankle, right? Okay. When the tide comes in and it washes over, this, over, the, over the sand, can you see those holes anymore? No. And that's like Jesus' blood. And when the tide goes back out, okay, all of those holes are gone and the sand is nice and smooth again. And that's what the blood of Christ accomplishes for us. It washes over us. It makes us clean. And all those holes in your heart and in your inside of you, the emptiness, the brokenness, gets filled in. And you can stand before God. And we're going to have communion this morning uh, to, to inaugurate, to celebrate this new covenant. So uh, I'm going to have Deb and Norm come forward. And uh, yeah, this is, going, this is great.
at this time.